scripture today is Mark 10, uh, 46 through 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, pray with me. Father, uh, we're thankful this morning. Thankful for your word and ask that as we open it up, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would uh, illuminate our hearts, that you'd be speaking to us uh, about who we are and who you are through it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys know we've been in this kind of sermon series all through the spring where we've been looking at different interactions that Jesus has with people, right? And we've been asking about what do these interactions teach us about Jesus? What do they teach us about us? And we've called this sermon series, Be Curious. So I'm, I'm wondering if you will uh, do this activity with me. We've been doing it at East Nashville to start each of our sermons. I'm curious uh, to hear from you guys. What are you curious about from this passage? So what questions do you have? Not questions, not any questions, okay? We could talk about that, but that would be a little bit of a different time. What questions do you have about this passage this morning? How did the blind man know Jesus could heal him? Yeah. Why did the people say cheer up? Why were they telling this man to be quiet? Yeah. What else? Why did Jesus say your faith has healed you? One or two more. How did he know it was Jesus? He's blind, right? Yeah. Give me one more. Do I have enough faith to be healed? Huh. And I have a start by asking these questions, guys, really to remind you that what is happening here this morning is not a show, right? Uh, that this is not about uh, you coming and, and leaving this morning and leaving and saying, well, that was really interesting. That's what my grandma said when she didn't like something. Hmm, that's really interesting. Uh, <laughs> that's not what church is about. That what we believe is that the Holy Spirit is here and that he desires to speak to you this morning. 
And that means that this is a process that is for you and for you to be engaged in this morning. I think what God wants to talk to us about this morning is our desires. That really what this passage does for us is it, it underlines, it highlights the importance, the centrality of our desires in living out the Christian life. Really in leaving, living out life regardless of what your worldview is, that desire is central to that. And that as it teaches us about desire, it also teaches us about what discipleship is truly about. So if you're a note taker, that's it. Okay, we're talking about desire and we're talking about, God willing, if we get there, discipleship. Okay? So let's talk about desire. And to understand uh, what happens here with Jesus and Bartimaeus, it's important that we understand what was happening just before Jesus encounters Bartimaeus. So uh, Jesus, in this chapter 10 of Mark, right, Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem. He has all these interactions on his way to Jerusalem. Mark 11 is the triumphal entry. So it's when Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the last week of his life, uh, pre-resurrection, last week of his life, you know. Uh, and so Jesus is on this road, and he's teaching his disciples what it means to follow him. And he's telling them, hey, this is not going to be like what you expect. This is going to involve me dying and suffering. And because that's true for me, it's going to have implications for you. And they're like really struggling to understand it. So that's kind of the context of what happens here. And he has all these interactions that are teaching us about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And right before this story, there's this story with James and John, who are two of Jesus' disciples. And what James and John do is they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Will you give us whatever we ask for? Let me, let, me, let me read it for you exactly what they say. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Okay, so if you're a parent, you know that's a trap, right? <laughs> I'm going to ask you to do something that I don't think you're going to want to do, so I'm going to try to guarantee it before, before I ask for it. And Jesus answers them, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus fall into the trap? No. He was honoring their request. What do you want me to do for you? Then we've got Bartimaeus crying out to Jesus. Jesus brings the man to him. And what is the question that Jesus asks Bartimaeus? What does he ask him? What do you want me to do for you? That's intentional parallelism, right? That Mark is trying to contrast, compare and contrast these two stories. He's drawing out for us this, what do you want me to do for you? And before we go into that, I gotta ask you, uh, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you know? What do you want Jesus to do for you? I'm honest about myself, that's often a really hard question to answer. I've been wrestling with it a lot this week. And sure, I can list off a few things off the top of my head, but if I stop and really think about what do I really want Jesus to do for me? I'll talk about this a little bit. Uh, Throughout, you'll get a, a sense of the soundtrack that plays in my head and in my car throughout the week as I'm prepping the sermon. The song that came to mind for me uh, 
well, at the beginning was a song from uh, the world-renowned poets, the Spice Girls, you know? <laughs> tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I want to, I want to, I want to really, really, really want to, thing is, yep, there we go. I have no <laughs> idea what that means, right? Neither do they. We don't really know what we want so often. to talk about what, what James and John and what, uh, what Bartimaeus want. Bartimaeus says, Lord, I want to see. We get that. James and John say, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. That what James and John are saying is, okay, Jesus, you know, you're bringing this kingdom. I know you talk about suffering, la, la, la. Okay, but when, but when it happens, right, when you bring the kingdom, one of us wants to sit on your right, one of us wants to sit at your left. We want the power and the glory, the honor that comes from being associated with you. We want some of your kind of residual glory to fall on us. We want the power and the authority that comes from being at your right hand and at your left hand. Which one of those do you think was the better request? Well, we're going to do a little exercise. We're going to have you raise your hand. How many of you think John and James made the better request? No one, okay. How many of you think that Bartimaeus made the better request? Okay, and how many of you think this is a pastor question, so it's probably a trick, right? <laughs> yes, okay, you know how this goes, you know Dave. Uh, it's a trick. So wh what I want to point out to you is that at the root of both of these things is a, is a similar desire, and is a desire that Jesus actually honors. Because what so happens in our own lives is that when we encounter the things that we desire, that we judge those things, don't we? Do you ever judge your desires? That is not biblical enough, right? That's not like big enough. That's not deep enough. I can't really want that thing. I shouldn't want that thing. That person, that change, that circumstance. As if the Christian life is all about us kind of editing our desires and making them seem more acceptable to God. That is not what we see here. That in the same way that Jesus honors the request of Bartimaeus, he honors the request of James and John. He does not rebuke them. He says, bring it to me. He invites it. And after they tell him, one of us wants to sit on your left and one on your right, he, he teaches them about that, but he does not rebuke them. The disciples get in a fight afterwards. They're all mad because they didn't think to ask that question first. And Jesus says, yeah, let me teach you about what greatness is in the kingdom of God. But what he does not say is you shouldn't desire that. Because if we are kind of uh, snorkeling in our desire, in the ocean of our desire, right, if we're at the surface, it's really easy to do that, to do the comparing and the judging. But if we strap on our scuba gear and we, we sink down into that desire, what we're going to find, what we're going to find uh, in us is the same thing that we find in James and John. It's the same thing that we find in Bartimaeus, is that our desire is, is for what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, what is going to bring us joy in this world. But under all of our service desires, that is what is underneath all of it. There's this author, Kurt Thompson. He wrote this book called The Soul of Desire. I borrowed it from Patience. This is Patience's book, so thank you, Miss Ross. 
this is what he has to say about desire. So what if you were asked the question, what do you want? And you could, for a moment, put aside the predictable anxiety that comes with it. He says, I'm confident that at some point in your reflection, you would move beyond the banal and become aware that what calls to you from the depths of your soul, what you most achingly long for, is that which is beautiful, good, true, and joyful. That what you most achingly long for is what is beautiful, good, true, and joyful. It's not difficult to identify beauty, goodness, and truth found in objects or experiences outside of ourselves. But we ultimately long to discover and become these things in the context of embodied relationships. We ultimately long to discover and to become these things in the context of embodied relationships. That's what's happening for Bartimaeus. He's saying, Lord, I want to see you. That is a good thing. It's a desire for the wholeness that God created him for. Yes. A desire to see and to be seen. And James and John, in their desire to participate in glory, do you know, guys, that is a godly desire. Maybe it's misshapen in them. Maybe it comes out in some ways that uh, that Jesus wants to direct. But the desire to uh, to be in the presence of glory, the desire, in fact, to be made glorious is a biblical desire. That's what Paul tells us, that we, when we are in Christ, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That in a way, Jesus says yes to that desire. Yes. And what's true about these desires is as we strap on our scuba gear and we start to sink down into them, not only do we discover that we all, at the root of all of these desires, is a desire for what is good and true and beautiful, is that under that even is a desire for the one who is good and true and beautiful. For God himself. That it's impossible for us to know what is true, what is good, or what is beautiful apart from knowing him. He is the definition of those things. He's the essence of those things. That all that is good and true and beautiful in the world is those things by by relation to him. But ultimately, what we're desiring, underneath all those other desires, is God himself. And what that teaches us about our desire is that desire is a good thing. And this is something that, that really is, sets uh, Christianity apart from so many other religions in the world. That in so many other places, uh, in so many other faiths, that desire is this thing you have to tamp down in order to become more spiritual. Right? You've got to separate from your desire. No, no, I'm going to become totally independent of that, right? Reach this like Zen state of peace by separating from my desire. Jesus says, your desire is a good thing. It actually points you to me. Or, or what, what can happen in other faiths, right, is that desire is this thing that, uh, that draws us to sin. And so we've got to turn down our desire, and that's a way of us avoiding sin in the world. And what the scripture would say is, no, that's not true. The problem is not your desire. The problem is not that you have desire. The problem is the way those desires become misshapen. And so the question that Jesus has for you, what do you want me to do for you? It's an important question for us to wrestle with. 
and to put on our scuba gear and dive down into it and ask, Lord, how do these desires, as surface as they may seem, how do they point me to the fact that what I want is what is true and good and beautiful? And how does that point me to the fact that what I want is you? Okay, so up until this point, we've been talking about Bartimaeus, right, James and John, similar things, similar desires in that where their root is. So we're kind of comparing them. Yeah, there's some similarities there. There are also some differences between what James and John ask for and what Bar- Bartimaeus asks for. I'm trying to remember what the, what the differences are now. Okay, I have it in my notes. <laughs> and Mark wants us to get this, uh, and we know that for a few reasons. One of the things that he does here is Mark gives us Bartimaeus' name. This is the only time in Mark that we get the name of somebody that Jesus healed. That's interesting. Not in my grammar, kind of a way. That's interesting, right? That's Mark getting out a highlighter and saying, hey, pay attention to this. What is so critical about this story and where it appears in this part of the narrative? Uh, The other thing that is unique about this story is that it's the only place in Mark's gospel that Jesus is called the son of David. The only place. Again, as a highlighter, Mark is taking it out and saying, hey, pay attention to this. And here's what Mark is highlighting by, by directing our attention to Bartimaeus here. Is when Bartimaeus calls out son of David, uh, what he's recognizing is that Jesus is the fulfillment of a covenant promise that was made hundreds of years before to an Israelite king. And that what God told this this normal man, David, he said, you are going to have someone who sits on the throne of this kingdom for the rest of time. And David wrestled with that. What does that mean? And we see it kind of play out in the Psalms, these poems, these songs that David wrote, is that David comes to understand that God's promise to him is is bigger than a physical heir who's going to maintain the kingdom of Israel. That God is promising something qualitatively different. He's promising a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom. The kind of king who's going to set up this spiritual kingdom that totally transforms the world. We see that develop throughout the prophets, this sense of who is this son of David? He's going to be a king, and this king is going to bring justice into our world. This thing that we all crave is for justice to to be executed. And that the king is going to bring that, and that's going to be a a cause for celebration, for rejoicing. He's going to bring healing and, and, and beauty and power into the world. He's going to bring justice into the world. So when Bartimaeus cries out, son of David... He's acknowledging that Jesus is that king, which is the amazing irony of the situation is that this man who is blind sees far better than the disciples themselves see what's going on. But then what what does Bartimaeus cry out for? Son of David what? What does he cry out for? Son of David what? Have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. What Bartimaeus recognizes is that this king who brings justice, when he brings the justice, that justice actually is going to be directed against him. Mercy, uh, I, had to, I had to Google this this week, the difference between grace and mercy. I always get them confused. 
so mercy is when God does not give me what I deserve. That's mercy. Mercy is that I do not get what I deserve. Grace is when I am given what I don't deserve. Let me say that one more time because it's still confusing for me sometimes. Okay. Mercy is when I am not given what I deserve. Grace is being given what I don't deserve. What Bartimaeus, the first thing he cries out for, before he calls out for grace, which is the grace of Jesus, heal me, give me this thing I don't deserve, the first thing he calls out for is mercy. God, would you not give me what I do deserve? Jesus, would you not give me what I do deserve? He recognizes Jesus is the king who is going to bring justice, and when that justice comes, it would be directed against me. So Jesus, do not give me what I deserve. Because what Bartimaeus knows about himself is true about all of us, that these desires that we have, the desires that drive every decision that you ever make, those desires are set against God. That our hearts, our, our desires, apart from Christ, are, are in rebellion to this king. And because of that rebellion, everything that comes from those desires is distorted. It's called sin. And when this king comes to bring justice, he's got to bring the justice against the people who have rebelled against him. And so Bartimaeus cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, do not give me what I deserve. And what we see in this passage is that our Jesus responds to that call for mercy, doesn't he? When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then he rebuked him, told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. In the middle of this giant pilgrimage, Jesus, surrounded by all of these people, this massive parade that he's in, Jesus stops everything and he says, bring him to me. That when he hears someone crying out for mercy, Jesus is drawn toward that call. So they call to the blind man, blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. But our Jesus, what we see in this passage is that he delights to show mercy. He loves to respond to that desire. It's a desire, in fact, that when you have that desire to come to him for mercy, that's a desire he put in you. And he longs to respond to it. Because that is so important for the way that we walk out our Christian life, isn't it? That what's true about me and it's true about you because it's true about people is that, that when, we, when we sin, when we enter places of darkness, when we say, oh, I've done the thing that I promised I would never do again, that what we want to do is push away from Jesus. And in that place, that place that we most desperately desire mercy but are afraid to ask for it, that's the place that Jesus says, no, I'm drawn to you there. I want to come to you there. That's, the very, that's what this whole thing is about, is me meeting you in your need for mercy. That what Bartimaeus recognizes is that his deepest need is first uh, for mercy. Jesus comes, calls him, brings him to him. He honors him. And then he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. 
and go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. So Jesus gives him the mercy and then he pours on the grace. He says, yes, and even more. That our Jesus delights to meet us in our desires and delights to meet us in our desires at the deepest place. That even when the cries of our hearts for our circumstances, for the things in us to change, for our desires for wholeness, when we cry out of those places and what we get is a not yet, and what we get is a no or not yet, that even there, our Jesus delights to meet with us, to show us mercy and to show us grace. what this passage has to teach us about our desire has profound effects for the way that we, we go on and live the Christian life. It's profound effects on the way that we would walk out this journey of discipleship in our life. And discipleship is kind of a churchy word, isn't it? When, we see, when we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about this process of becoming like somebody else. The pro- being a disciple, or the process of discipleship is becoming like somebody else. Like there was this biography of Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson that came out probably a decade ago. And it had a major impact on the tech scene in Silicon Valley because everybody read this book and they were like, well, if Steve Jobs did it, I should do it. They were being discipled by Steve Jobs through this biography. There's this woman, I think this story is fascinating. We will not go into all the details, but her name is Elizabeth Holmes. And she started this company that promised they could do all these blood tests just to prick, a, prick your finger. And she saw herself as this visionary, revolutionary woman. And so what she started doing was being discipled by Steve Jobs, even though he was dead. She started dressing like Steve Jobs. She started wearing black turtlenecks. She started uh, getting kind of mean and uh, bossy with her subordinates. Because it's like, well, that's what Steve Jobs did, you know? He just told people what they needed, and he went after it. Uh, so she said, well, I'll just do that, just like Steve Jobs. She was being discipled by Steve Jobs. Later on, she ended up in jail, but that's a different story, okay? (laughs) Probably not the best person to be discipled by. Uh, That this story teaches us about what discipleship is about. Because look at what Bartimaeus does. Go, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Another way to say it is Jesus says to him, go your way. Go wherever you want. Immediately, he received his sight, and he followed Jesus along the road. can go wherever he wants, then where does he go? Jesus says, do what you want. And Bartimaeus says, what I want is to be with you. That's discipleship, isn't it? It makes me think of this, uh, this scientific phenomenon called imprinting. You know what I'm talking about? It's what's at work when you see those videos of the ducks like following along with the cat, and you're like, something is not right here, right? That's imprinting. That uh, there's this, this, this psychologist, theorist, his, his last name is, what is, his, what is his name? His last name is Lorenz. I have it here. Conrad. Conrad Lorenz. He did all these experiments on ducks. And what would happen with ducks, right, because ducks leave the nest kind of as soon as they're hatched, uh, is they fixate on the thing that they see as soon as they break out of the shell. And they go with that thing wherever it goes, whether that thing is it's their, their mom or Conrad wearing his boots, because they would follow the boots wherever the boots went, regardless of who was wearing them, or whether it was an inanimate object, like a box, 
they would train ducks. They would show them a box when they first came out of the egg, and they would drag the box, and the ducks would follow the box. Because their, their, their eye, they were fixed on this first thing that they saw as soon as they got their sight. You know where this is going. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's the first thing that Bartimaeus saw when he, when he got his sight, when he metaphorically opened his eyes for the first time? What did he see? Come on, give, give it to me a little bit stronger. What did he see? He saw Jesus, right? Think about this. The first thing that Bartimaeus saw in his entire life, he was, he was staring into the eyes of Jesus. The first thing. And what was in Jesus' eyes? It was always in Jesus' eyes. When he comes to his people, what was in Jesus' eyes? It was mercy. It was compassion. It was desire. That what Bartimaeus saw when he looked in Jesus' eyes is he saw someone who had been desiring him before Bartimaeus could even see. What he saw is into the eyes of the Jesus who loved him and desired him before the foundation of the world. That is the first thing that he saw. Hey, go your way. I want to go with him. That's discipleship. And it, this, this also teaches us about what, what that process of discipleship is like. It's going with the one who has come for us. It's learning to desire the one who has desired us. It's living out of what is now most true about you. Because what the scriptures tell us is that moment of you realizing there is a God who has desired me before I could even desire him, the God who came for me, who bought the mercy that I needed by his death on the cross, that Jesus has now given you a new heart. That experience of mercy and grace is, m means that at a fundamental level, you have been changed. And what is now most true about you is that you desire and delight in the God who desires and delights in you. That's most true about you. You're different now. That rather than rebelling against this king, you are drawn toward him. And discipleship is the journey of disciplining that desire. A discipleship in your life is the, is the journey of disciplining that desire, is bringing that desire to the service, is living most fully out of that desire. We often put, does it sound weird to you to, to hear discipline and desire in the same sentence? Like, think of them, anybody, as like, as going together? One of the other things I was listening to on the way in this morning uh, was... I just love emo music, okay? It's like what I listened to in high school, the angst of it, the desire of it, right? Oh, uh, there's this, the, the song by The Format, the, their first single, uh, I hate to imagine a heart so big it hurts like hell. It's just like, oh, there's so much de desire there. No, no, were any of you emo fans in high school, right? <laughs> just, it just drips with it. Uh, that's fine for high school, but I don't want to live my life like that. Do you? Right, that's just... That is, that is desire that is undisciplined. It goes in whatever direction, whenever, wh it, and, it, and it, it reminds me that it reminded me I was alive, but I thought, I can't, we can't live like that for forever. There's got to be some discipline, some guardrails brought into that desire, right? 
And what desire or what, what discipline does is it brings out, it actualizes the potential that's already inside of us. Because no matter how disciplined I am in my life, I will never play in the NBA. It's not in me. The potential is not there. I could spend all of my life shooting free throws and it wouldn't make a lick of difference in how competitive I would be uh, in the NBA. But the discipline matters. It brings out the potentiality of what's already inside of us. That's true in our discipleship that you have, like we've talked about, you've been given this new heart and what, the dis- what discipline does is it draws that potential out into actuality. It's realizing what God has put in you. What that means, again, is that, that this journey of the Christian life is not about turning down our desire. No, let's turn it up and then let the Lord direct it. You want to talk about how it gets directed? That's what's happening here, isn't it? That this is the place that we get reminded of what our desire is truly for. We get recentered. We, we're reminded of the God who desired us before we did anything. We're woken up to that. That's why we sing it together. That's why we preach it. That's why we read it. That's what's been happening here in discipleship groups, right? Gathering around the scriptures, talking about recentering on what is most true about me? What is true about my desires? It's why, just as a fun fact, uh, we've started including questions in the guide like, what do you love about Jesus in this passage? But that's a reminder that this process of discipleship is more than an intellectual journey. I don't know if you've ever spent any of your Christian life believing this. Like, if I can just get more facts about Jesus into my head, that's going to change me. Friends, that's not true. The facts are important because they teach you what is true and beautiful and good about who God is so that you can love him more accurately, so you can see the world more clearly. Yes, but that intellectual exercise devoid of or divorced from our desires, pointless. That our discipleship is so much more than behavior management. It's more than editing or tweaking the way that we're living. No, what Jesus is after is your heart. Saying, what I want to pull out of you, I don't want you to dial that, de- that, dial that desire down. I want you to turn it up, and I want you to, to listen to me speaking to you, in it, and I want you to follow that. Let me discipline it, yes. Let me show you where it comes from. Let me show you how to channel it appropriately, but I want you to live hearts that are full of desire. This is what you two has to say about this. Told you we're really covering the musical gamut this morning. I've climbed the highest mountains. I've run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The beginning of the song is this call of desire. Lord, what am I looking for? And he says in the last verse, they say in the last verse, I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. Oh, my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
I don't know. I don't know how they meant this one. Uh, but I'll tell you what I think they meant. That when we, when we come to know the one who's desired us, when we come to desire the one who's desired us, to delight in the one who's delighted in us, uh, in one sense, we find what we're looking for, what we were created for, what our hearts most long for. But that desire is never going to be satisfied on this side of eternity. That desire will never be fully satisfied until we see Jesus face to face. And so, and that day is coming. You know that, right? That there will be a day when you look in Jesus' eyes and he will wipe away your tears with his hands. And you will see in his eyes the same thing that Bartimaeus saw. That day is coming. And until that day, what happens in our hearts as believers, as we walk this path of discipleship, is that our desire, it doesn't diminish, it increases. And sometimes that means that the world feels harder and sadder because we recognize more and more the gap between how this world is and how it will be. Friends, that does not mean that something is wrong. That may mean that something is very right in your life and in your heart. That your desire is being disciplined, that it's growing for the one who is good and true and beautiful, that you're learning to desire the one who has desired you. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for your word. And Lord, confess uh, how small our desire so often is. Jesus, would you, uh, would you wake us up? Lord, would you show us the depth of that desire, the eternal nature of that desire? And would you point us to the fact that that desire can only be satisfied in you? Pray, Lord, that as you grow us, that you, as you mature, Creed Hall as a community of desiring people, Lord, that, uh, that that desire would flow out in, into the world around us. Lord, that it would be changing Creep Hall and this part of the city uh, as, as you discipline their desire. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.